We are in the book of Zechariah, and Zechariah is easy to find. It's next to the last book in your Old Testament, sandwiched between Haggai and Malachi. I could take the book of Zechariah and preach the book of Revelation from it. It is an incredible book, and it's amazing how them old-timers knew the Word of God. Amen. And they certainly are old-timers now. They might have been young at the time of the writing, but they certainly are. The ancient books of the Bible are relevant for today. And so I want you to open up your Bibles with me to Zechariah and stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the first eight verses of this chapter. And this whole chapter 14 is eschatology eschatology. That's what it is, eschatology. So, well, what is eschatology? It's a study of the end times. The whole chapter 14 is about the final return of Jesus Christ to planet earth. That's what this chapter 14 is about, the coming of Jesus Christ to planet earth. Verse 1 through 7, we're going to try to get through the whole chapter tonight. If we don't, we just don't. Verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravaged, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city." Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when one or as he fought in the day of battle. And his feet, speaking of Jesus, shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Hazel. Yea, ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. One, draw your, atten- draw your attention to the last part of verse 5. Zechariah shouts out, the Lord my God shall come. And that's, that's what, I want, what I want to talk about tonight. The Lord my God shall come. And when he comes, the scripture says in the last part of verse 5, all the saints shall be with him or with thee. You may be seated. I uh, This is an exciting chapter, and this chapter 14 is about end-time events. This chapter 14 is not about something that happened 
in 70 AD. A lot of people believe that this is what happened in 70 AD, 37 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus told them in the temple that every stone would be thrown down, the temple would be destroyed. It burned to the ground when Titus came. And a lot of people try to connect this chapter 14 with that event. But the only problem with that is, is God didn't come to the rescue then. Jesus didn't return then. So we know by that statement that the Lord did not come, and we see this is in the future. This is future events. I, you know, I really am troubled about so many preachers that think they don't need the Old Testament when a lot of the Old Testament has never yet been fulfilled. A lot of the Bible has not yet been fulfilled. And I mean, oh, God is not a man that he should lie. It will and shall be fulfilled. Every promise God ever made will be kept because God is not a, uh, a promise breaker. He's not a liar. And what he said he'll do because he honors his word above his name. God has a reputation to protect, although he don't have to worry about that because He's the highest, he's the mightiest, he's sovereign God, and he does as he pleases, but because he's holy, because he's merciful, because he's powerful. Aren't you glad we got a good God that made us? Aren't you glad that God who, is, who has all power, God who is incredibly all-knowing, and God who can do anything at any time, at any moment, any place he desires, and any person he wants to, uh, to come upon, or anything he wants to do, wipe out the universe, start over, whatever. Aren't you glad that that God's a good God? I rejoice because he's a good God. And that makes me want to praise him and love him because he is a good God. Now, the first seven verse. I'm going to give you the outline of this chapter 14. The first seven verses is talking about the end of Jacob's trouble. So what is Jacob's trouble? Well, Jacob is Israel, the end of Israel's trouble. I mean, you know, Israel's got a lot of trouble right now. But there's coming a time when the end of Jacob's trouble or Israel's trouble will come to an end. And that's verse 1 through 7 we just read. Then in verse 8 through 9, two verses, we see the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth. It is a literal reign. You say, how can you say that? Revelation 20, verse 6 says that we're blessed because we are part of the first resurrection, and because of that, the second death has no power, and we shall reign upon the earth for 1,000 years. And the 20th chapter of Revelation says that Satan will be bound for 1,000 years, and afterward, release. We have not seen that yet. That's on the, in the future. It's called the millennium. Verse 8 and 9 is the millennium. Verses 10 through 11 is the city limits of Jerusalem will be expanded. Israel will be expanded. And the city limits of Israel will be expanded, or of Jerusalem, rather, will be expanded. The land of Israel will be expanded, and the city of Jerusalem will be expanded. 
In fact, the city of Jerusalem will be so huge that it will be like it is a big city and the temple will be in a, on a high mountain and the temple itself will be like a city in a city. And Israel will receive every piece of property, every inch of property that God promised Abraham. It's theirs. You know, that's one of the arguments today of the time we live. Everybody says, no, that land's not Israel's. Come on. God gave it to Abraham. God promised Abraham. And not only that, after the exile of Babylon and after World War I and II, the Israel began to gather back and they bought every piece of property with their own money. They're the only people on planet Earth, at least in the Middle East, that has a deed to their property. Isn't that beautiful? Jeremiah taught that when he bought a piece of property, when he knew he was going into Babylonian captivity, and he went ahead and bought a piece of property. And there's a reason the Lord showed Jeremiah to do that, because it, it stimulated the people of Israel to buy their property and, of course, do you have to have a piece of paper to prove it? No, but it just shows the ignorance of the world. Amen? And trust me, you can see it. Amen? I could be blindfolded and see the ignorance of the world. Amen? It's crazy. It's absolutely insane out there. We are living in insane times. Horrific times. But anyway... The outline is city limits of Jerusalem will be expanded, verse 10 through 11. Then our king will have rules in the millennium. And that's in verse 12 through 19. Then at the close, during the millennium, it will be verse 20 and 21, the com completion of chapter 14, will be holiness unto the Lord. Holiness unto the Lord. Let's talk first, first about the end of Jacob's trouble. We need to understand, just as we preached last uh, a couple of, well, last Wednesday, we talked about how Jerusalem would be a cup of trembling. And God mentioned that Jerusalem would be a cup of trembling. And um, we talked about that, how God, it, it's amazing how the leaders of this world want to yield and and. They're almost obsessed with Israel, obsessed with what Israel's doing. They're just obsessed with it. And uh, it's, it's clear that Jerusalem has been a hot spot. That may be chapter 12, but anyway, it talks about Jerusalem as a cup of trembling. And they would try to move the stone or move the property line. And let me tell you, every president that I've known in my lifetime has always wanted to move the stone, move the property line. And God says, I'm not going to put up with that. And Israel will be a cup of trembling. And that statement, Israel, Jerusalem being a cup of trembling, just means that people will drink of it, get drunk, be insane, be poisoned, and everything's going to escalate around the city of Jerusalem. That's what this first part of Zechariah 14 is talking about. The, the, the enemies will gather around Jerusalem for battle. It says that Jerusalem will be under siege. And while Jerusalem is under siege, 
The scripture says in verse 2 that half of the city shall go forth into captivity. In other words, half of the city will be captured. And the residue of the city shall not be cut off from the city. In other words, some will escape, some will be bound. And Jerusalem will be under great persecution, under the Antichrist, under the armies, under the many enemies that's coming against Jerusalem. That's, that's, Jerusalem is the ground zero. Jerusalem is the hot spot of prophecy. Jerusalem will be the place where God will ignite and return to planet Earth. And in fact, he's going to step on the Mount of Olives where he launched off and went back to his father. Remember that? We'll talk about that a little bit later. But verse 2 says that many will be stuck in the city. And stuck in that city, they'll be, they'll, the women will be raped and molested. Uh, they will be plundered. They'll be tormented. They'll be under siege. It'll be a horrific time, and the nations of the world will gather around Jerusalem and try to bring... Did you know, I, I mentioned this last Wednesday night, if you got a map and looked at the, the Muslim world and the uh, Arabian world and, and all the nations around Israel, and, and you put a red dot on Jerusalem and Israel... It's just a little speck, red dot, and there's all these other um, hostile nations around Israel and Jerusalem. I'm told that a fighter pilot, if he's flying across Israel, he can't blink his eyes or it'll be off and out of Israeli airspace. Israel's that small. But God is that big. You see, you say, well, why does God, why is God all turned on about Jerusalem? Well, his son, Jesus, grew up there. There's kind of some sentimental value there. I mean, Jesus had friends there. Oh, they're with him in heaven now, the disciples. But Jesus grew up there. And, and what little boy that grows up doesn't want to go back to his hometown? In the same spot that Jesus ascended back to heaven from the Mount of Olives, he'll come back to the Mount of Olives again and say, I'm back. But he's not coming back to be spit upon, ridiculed, molested with hate and vengeance. He's not coming back to be crucified on a cross he died on that cross once and for all, shed his blood for our sins once and for all. He's not coming back to go to the graveyard. He done been there, already left, vacated his tomb, went back to his father, and one day his father say, son, go get your bride. Bring him home. And a few, a, a, a few years later, Jesus Christ will return with his church to planet Earth and will sit down in the valley of Megiddo and we will see God, might, and God God flexes muscles in Jesus Christ in his glorified, resurrected body. Amen. Woo! You will preach what does woo mean? It means good stuff. Amen. And so Zechariah's talking about Jerusalem will be under siege. And then he talks about, you know, my Lord in verse 5 the title of the message, my 
the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with him. I want to talk to you about that a little bit. Verse 5 says that he will, verse 3 says that the Lord will come to fight for Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be under such a mess, under the dictatorship of the Antichrist and foreign nations. Israel, Jerusalem will be under such siege and such pain and agony that the Lord will return just about the time Jerusalem is going to be literally annihilated. The Lord Jesus Christ will return. And he'll return after the great tribulation. This chapter 14 is the end of the great tribulation, the end of Jacob's trouble. And when Jesus Christ comes, remember that great story, true story in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, and also in Luke 50, verse, uh, uh, Luke chapter um, 24, verse 50 and 53 where Jesus Christ ascended back to the Father. And remember, there on the east side of the slope of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ at the Mount of Olives told his disciples, I'll be back, and told them, I bless you, and he did bless them. And Jesus Christ was ascended and began to go up into the clouds. And as he began to ascend back up into the space, that the, the, the disciples are watching him. Uh, uh, gravitation has lost its control over Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ goes up into the sky. And as he wraps himself up in the sky, he reaches over and grabs a couple of uh, Shakuna glory clouds, wraps himself in the clouds, and gone. Went back to be with his father. And the disciples were standing there going. You say, what did they say? You, you say, what, what did Peter say? And he always had something to say. What did the other disciples say? You say, how do you know they were speechless? Because two angels came down in the likeness of men, and they said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that you have saw go up into heaven shall come again in like manner as you've seen him go. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back in the clouds of glory. He's coming to earth, and he's gonna, his footprint is already on the Mount of Olives. And when Jesus' footprint touches the Mount of Olives again, the Mount of Olives will experience an earthquake. The Mount of Olives is several, um, very large top of the, it's not really a mountain, it, they call it a mountain, but anyway, it's, it, it's, it, there's other mountains higher than the Mount of Olives, but it's a long um, crossing across the top of it and when Jesus Christ touches down on it, a great earthquake and by uh, uh, we've already determined or professionals have already determined that there's a great uh, fault line going under that mountain and when Jesus touches down his footprint touches the, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if his, his, feet, his feet don't touch the exact place he was standing when he left the first time and when his feet touches boom an earthquake comes Mountain cleaves to the north, to the, to the south. 
and, and there's a great opening taking place, east and west, uh, uh, an avenue uh, to, give, to give the children of Israel. And when Jesus touches down on the Mount of Olives, and there's a great escape valley that takes place, and it rips through that, uh, that terrain. And the people that are under bondage there in the city of Jerusalem will be able to run through that valley, get out of the way, because Jesus Christ is fixing to whoop them. Amen. You say, that's not very theological. Whoop them. Well, let me, okay, he's going to exterminate them. Does that sound better? Now, you've got to see the picture of this because it just absolutely thrills my heart when you see the picture. You see, Jesus Christ is coming, and when it rips across the Hedron Valley and that earthquake takes place, uh, Israel will run. Many of them will run to the place probably called Petra. They're hiding in the rocks, and they'll run for their lives, and they'll, they'll run in terror away from the Antichrist and the, the armies that are besieged it. But Jesus shows up. His vesture's dipped in blood. He's the Word of God. He's the sovereign. God of the universe and he will make access for the, for, the, uh, for the escape valley for the children of Israel to run only be about a third of them left most of them had already been killed most of them were already dead but those third uh, uh, Jewish people will be saved individually saved we've talked about that already they'll give their heart and say oh that's the Messiah that's the Savior they'll see the nail prints in his hand they'll see the pierced side they'll sob and they'll weep my God, we killed the Messiah. We, we, we were wrong. And they'll spend days, as Daniel said, something like 75 days of mourning and crying, begging God for mercy. And they'll receive Jesus Christ as their personal Messiah and Savior. And out of him will come a fountain of water that will be for cleansing and for uncleanliness and salvation, a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood shall lose all their guilty stains. Wow. So in this first seven verses, Zechariah is getting pretty excited. And so in the time of Titus the Roman, you'll have people tell you that this was already happened, that this happened in Titus 70 AD, 37 years after Jesus went back to the Father. But it's impossible because the Lord didn't come and fight for them at that time. And, they were, and Israel was disbanded around the world. And Israel spent 20 centuries without a home, without a name. And they made a comeback. They made a comeback in our lifetime. And Israel become a state, a nation. Isn't that beautiful? Never been done by any human being on planet Earth. But in 1948, they became a nation. They returned and became a sovereign state. Never happened except a Jew related to a Jew. Got it done. Amen? Isn't that good? Wow. So Zechariah is so relevant to our coming future. The Bible says that our Lord shall come. Now, let me point out something, and, and I'm going to get back to this. Someone said, well, what is this place they shall reach to Azel? Well, I don't know what Azel is, and nobody else does. 
I've studied and studied and studied. They may be in Azale somewhere, maybe like a small village somewhere in the Middle East right now, but I don't know anybody that knows what this Azale is. But one thing we need to know, there'll be a very large valley. And when this happens, there will be a, a topographical uh, happening. The, Israel will be lifted. The land will be lifted. A mountain will be lifted. And the reason it's going to be lifted is because God's going to put an awesome <laughs> millennial temple on top of that mountain. That temple is going to be so huge, it will make Solomon's temple and Zerubbabel's temple look like a little matchbox. It'll be like a city in a city. And you'll see that in Ezekiel chapter 47 and 48, the millennial temple. But uh, here's something that's cool. Not that the Bible isn't extremely wonderful as it is, but here's something that's amazing. So the mountains will quake. God will make a way because the Lord will come. Verse 6 and 7 is really awesome. It says, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord. In other words, only God knows this day. Verse 6, I read verse 7, but look at verse 6. And it shall come to pass in that day. What day? The day of the Lord. That the light shall not be clear nor dark. In other words, it won't be dark or light. And he's not saying that you can't see. He's not saying it's going to be smoggy. He's saying that the moon and the sun won't be involved. Verse 7. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Think with me for a minute. When was there light before there was a sun and a moon? Genesis 1. Remember, God said, let there be light. Sun hadn't been created yet. The moon hadn't been hung yet. And scientists want to see there, the Bible can't be true because, you know, there was light before there was the sun. Wrong. There was light before there was the sun. God's light. And it doesn't mean the sun will be gone. Of course, we know the sun will be sackcloth of hair. We know the moon will be blood. But it doesn't mean that the sun and the moon will be gone when Jesus returns on that glorious day. just means that God's glory will be so incredibly and so lit up that it won't be day or night. It'll just be God. Wow. Now, if you didn't get something out of that, your graveyard dead. You need, you need to be buried. You need to be sprinkled with dirt. No, you need a whole truckload of dirt put on you. You got problems. Verse 8 through 9, you see the millennium. Well, let me back up just a little bit. Well, I'll come back to that. No, I, I want to mention this. Jerusalem, uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Remember I said the first part of uh, verse 1 through 7 that this is the time of Jacob's trouble or the end of Jacob's trouble. Look at, look at uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. It says, Alas, for that great day, so that none is like it, 
It is even the time of who? Jacob's trouble. He shall be saved out of it. Isn't that just what we read? That's awesome, isn't it? We'll come back to, to that in a little bit. Verse 8 through 9, you see the millennial. So well, what is the millennial? Millennial means a thousand years. A millennium is a thousand. And so there's going to be a thousand years. And someone will say, why is there going to be a millennium? That don't make no sense at all. Well, when you got God all figured out, you can criticize him. Why is there going to be a millennium? Well, I can, I can guess a few things. I can guess this. When Jesus Christ does, when he, when he actually returns to planet Earth, there may be a billion or so people still alive around the world. He's not just going to kill them and throw them in the dump. He's going to become king of all the world. Jesus Christ is going to rule, and his, count, and, his, and his capital will be Jerusalem. There'll be scattered little far brands across the earth. There'll be people living on the earth, but Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem with King David by his side. You say, well, why do you got King David? Well, the, the major prophet says David will return, uh, and he will be there with King Jesus, the son of David. So I said, well, why is David going to be at the Jerusalem in the millennium? Because David needed to learn to be a better king. He's got some training to learn. He's got to learn under the best king of all, Jesus Christ. So David's going to sit under, and Jesus is going to mentor David. So why is Jesus going to mentor David? Because one day Jesus will go to holy city Jerusalem as a lamb. And he will rule and reign, and, his, and the, the city will be lit by the lamb, the light of the lamb. But the earth is going to continue, and David will be the king. That was promised in the Scriptures. Now, I don't have time to go into all that, and you may think I'm cuckoo, 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 but I'm not. The Bible is a lot more impressive than some of us would like to think. A lot more awesome. But anyway, the millennium. Let's read it, verse 8 and 9. And it shall be in that day. Notice the phrase, in that day. That's mentioned 16 times in chapter 12, 13, and 14. In that day, the day of the Lord. In that day, that living water shall go out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea. The former sea is the Dead Sea. And half of the water will flood toward the hinder sea, and that is the Mediterranean Sea. In the summer and in the winter, it shall be Nice, beautiful. It'll flow both summer and winter. The Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. There it is. Jesus coming to earth, going to be king. You thought, well, I just thought God's going to show up one day and just fry us all or say we can either go to heaven or go to hell, and that'll be it. It's a little bit more beautiful than just that statement. God's incredible. Amen? Look at verse 10. Jerusalem expands its city limits. Verse 10 through 11. And the land shall be turned as a plain from Giba, that's the north, to Rimon, that's to the south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up, that's 
mentioning Jerusalem will be high raised up on a mountain, and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate. This is an expansion of the temple. Under the corner gate from the tower of Hananel, Hananel, the tower of Hananel, a lot of uh, archaeologists believe that that wasn't so, but they found it in the last few years, the tower of Hananel, the remains. Under the king's wine press, under the king's wine press is Solomon's wine press. And the men shall dwell in it, and there shall be, that's in verse 11, no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Why? Because Jesus has returned home. That, you know, I get excited just reading this. The city limits of Jerusalem will be expanded. Verse 10, 11, just read. Our king will have rules. You know, a king rules. If a king doesn't rule, he's not a king. So when King Jesus comes, he will rule. In the thousand-year reign, Jesus will rule. But according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, his bride will rule with him. We'll rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. That's a promise to the church, a promise to the, those that have part in the first resurrection. Now notice this. The king will have rules. Verse 12 through 19, and I'm, I, I want to move pretty quick, but you need to see this. Verse 12, and this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall, be, shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume uh, away in their holes. Their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Now, a lot of Bible scholars will say that is a nuclear blast. A lot of Bible scholars will say that that is an atom bomb, a nuclear blast, a neutron bomb, a weapon of mass destruction. Please hear me. I believe there will be nuclear blasts. I believe there will be nuclear weapons. I believe they, well, we haven't, but I believe there will be ex exploded. I believe we will see, if not before we're taken to heaven, after we're taken to heaven, during the Great Tribulation, there will be nuclear blasts. There will be radiation. There will be nuclear but here, he's not talking about a nuclear blast. He's he talking about God showing up in his full glory. And God will be so full of glory. You know, you know, God had so much glory, Moses had to hide in a rock. God had to put his hand over him as he passed by, and all Moses could see was the backside of God, or he would be dead. Well, when Jesus Christ shows up in the battle of Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo, he's going to be so glorious along with his church that people's eye sockets will just melt in their holes of their head. Their flesh will just melt off their bones. Why? Because flesh cannot stand in the presence of raw energy God. That's what we see here. I think there will be nuclear blasts, but I, that's not what we see here in verse 12. We see Jesus coming in his glory. And it shall come to pass in that day, verse 13, a great tumult of the Lord shall 
be among them, and they shall lay hold every one of his hand, his neighbor, and in his hand shall rise up against the hand of the neighbor. And Judah shall also fight at Jerusalem. That doesn't mean Judah will fight Jerusalem. It means they will fight with Jerusalem, at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Israel will receive rewards and great blessings. And so shall it be the plague of the horse, the mule, and the camel, and the ass, and all the beasts that shall be in these ten as this plague. In other words, they will receive the spoil of every one of their camels or horses or beasts, etc., etc. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations, let's say there's a billion people left when Jesus comes. I don't know how many of the people will be, but there's eight billion on planet earth right now. Half of them is going to be killed in the great tribulation. Jewish people are going to die to a third there might be a billion left when Jesus returns. It's still alive at the end of the battle of Armageddon, whatever it is. But Jesus Christ is going to make them worship him. They're going to honor him because he's going to take over planet earth. He's going to be the conquering king on planet earth. You say, that sounds so kingish. Yeah, it is. It's kingish. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 10, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King and the Lord of hosts and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In other words, people will go to the temple, Solomon's temple. They'll go to Jerusalem to worship Jesus. That's in the millennium. They will go to Jesus. To wor- they will go to Jerusalem to worship Jesus. They will go to the uh, the new millennial temple to worship Jesus. They will go. If they don't go to worship Jesus, and it says here the feast of uh, tabernacles, the feast of tabernacles is when you you were required in the Old Testament to go every year to the temple to honor God. And then later it became a, a feast of booths where they camped out and hung around and they give God praise for his glory. God is saying, I'm a king. I demand glory. And so when he sits on the throne in Jerusalem, there in the, solemn, uh, uh, the new temple, uh, the millennial temple, He will require everybody that's left on planet earth to come there and worship him. He said, well, preacher, you got scripture for that? Okay. And it shall come to pass, whosoever shall not come up of all the families of the earth under Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. Jesus says, if you don't come and worship me, you're not going to have any rain on your crops. If you don't honor me, you're not going to survive well. Verse 18, And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of the tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles once of all, uh, once again is a time every year to come and give glory to God and worship God. Verse 19, this shall be the punishment of the Egypt. Now, Egypt here is just a term. Everybody that's not saved, that's heathens, fits in Egypt. You were in Egypt, spiritually speaking. And the punishment of all the nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, now, we're going to come back to this, in that day, we're talking about in the millennium, 
We're talking about holiness under the Lord. Look at verse 20 through 21. We'll wrap this up in just a moment. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And when I think of that, I think of these beautiful horses that are, you know, they're marching, they're doing their, what do they call that? Uh, trot, trot. Sprinting too, but the, the, I think it's the trotting, the, the real beautiful horses, and they have these golden bells. And on this, it'll, it, it won't say Budweiser, it'll say holiness unto the Lord. It'll be a time of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls after the, before the altar. What were the pots in the Lord's house like the bowls in the altar? Incense, the smell of beautiful incense. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts, and all that they sacrifice shall come and take of them and seethe therein, and in that day there shall be no more of the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Otherwise, he's saying there's not going to be any more crime, not going to be any more evil. When we look, when we look at the millennium, and I, and, and I just want to, I got just a few seconds. I want to do a little preachy, preachy. But listen to me. When Jesus Christ returns, he's coming back in his full glory. According to Jude verse 6, Enoch said he cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Those saints is you and I, the church of Jesus Christ. We're going to come back with Jesus at the close of the great tribulation. You say, how? Because we're taken before the tribulation. We're going to come back with Jesus Christ riding upon white horses. Not horses like we have today. We're talking about glorified horses. We're talking about incredible horses, probably the speed of light horses. And we're going to be coming back with Jesus, and Jesus is going to come, and it says in the 19th chapter of Revelation, he'll be coming with crowns on his head, many crowns upon his head. He'll be riding this white stallion, not just a horse like we think of a horse, but a glorified, uh, incredible creature that God Almighty has made more glorious than the cherubims, more glorious than the beast in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, and he'll come riding on that stallion. We'll be back behind him coming Coming on, coming in, not horsepower, but Jesus' power will be coming on earth. And Jesus Christ got one thing in mind. I'm going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. I'm going to set free the people that's under siege in Jerusalem. I'm going to let them, give them a valley, an escape valley. I'm going to give them a way out. And Jesus Christ will come down to the Mount of Olives, stand there in victory with his sword drawn high out of his mouth, a two-edged sword. And he'll be coming across the Kedron Valley into the Battle of Armageddon. And the prophet said he was something like this. He was treading out the wine press and going through, meaning his white robes were bloody as he walked through the blood to the valley of Megiddo. And he's, uh, he's, he's, he's conquering, he's speaking uh, powerful words. He's conquering the enemy. He's bringing glory back to planet Earth, sanity back to planet Earth. He's conquering and he's bringing vengeance upon the earth. And upon his side is written the word of God. And he is a mighty and sovereign almighty God returning to bring glory and when he looks at the people their eye sockets will melt in their, in their head and their eyes will melt in their eye sockets in their head they will 
will their flesh will melt. Their bodies will explode with the glory of God. Flesh will explode. Blood will go everywhere. Up to the horse's bridle, blood will flow in the valley of Megiddo. There in the valley of Jehoshaphat. And Jesus Christ will walk through that blood. Walk through that stench of death and call the fowls of the air to come and eat of the supper of God. And Jesus will walk into the temple of God and he will announce, out of here, out of here, he'll cast the false prophet and the Antichrist into the lake of fire. And Jesus Christ will stand glorious as the sovereign Messiah. And it'll take 75 days for mourning and crying out to God according to Daniel. And for 75 days, they'll clean up the carcass. They'll purify the temple and Jesus Christ will rule and reign. The temple, the temple will be destroyed. But what little bit is left, Jesus will stand on the rubble and say, I'm back. Zechariah saw that. Zechariah saw that. Woo! You see, Jesus is not coming back to die on a cross. He's already done that. He's the suffering Messiah. He went to the graveyard. He rose again from the dead. Israel rejected him. But one day Jesus Christ will return and they'll see the wounds. And Israel will say, my God, we, we made a horrible judgment. And Jesus Christ will bring a new heaven a new place for Israel. And Jesus will do what they wanted him to do from the beginning. The Pharisees and the scribes. What they want Jesus to do from the beginning, they want him to show up and just kick everybody in the seat of the pants and destroy everybody and become king. But when Jesus came the first time, he didn't do that. He didn't crush Rome. He crushed my sin and your sins. He didn't break the back of Rome. He broke the back of Satan. He died on the cross, put in a tomb, rose again from the grave, victorious over death held in the grave. But when he comes back, the second coming of Jesus Christ, he's coming back and he's going to conquer the, the wicked world. He's going to conquer it all and he's going to set up a kingdom and he is going to put down the revised Roman Empire. Man, I done preached myself happy. <laughs> Woo! Someone might be saying, well, preacher, too much learning has made you mad. I'm not mad. I'm happy. I'm glad. And trust me, I ain't got too much learning. I need to learn a whole lot more. But it's beautiful. You see, Jesus Christ is coming. Amen? And when he comes, he's going to set up the millennial. In fact, unless the Lord changes my mind, I may preach a brand new series beginning next Wednesday on the millennium. I mean, does that sound good? There, there's not much preaching about the millennium. Not much preaching about the millennium. And I may just preach a new series on the millennium. What the Bible says about it. You'd be amazed how much the Bible talks about it. That thousand-year reign, 
that Jesus will rule. You say, well, why is he doing that? Giving everybody a chance. Jesus Christ is giving everybody a chance. Amen. Some of the children that died early in life, they're going to grow up in the millennium. So you, you're thinking, oh, wow, this study in millennium is going to be really out there. Yeah, it is, because it is really out there. It's awesome. I believe the little crippled, I preached a funeral a few years here at the church, a little girl that was born with a crippling disease, and she never grew up. She never, she just, you know, she, she was just deformed, and it was awful. It's awful. Sweet little precious girl. And she died. And I remember telling the family, this little girl hasn't lost a thing. Oh, yeah, she's with Jesus. Yes, she's blessed, and she's, in, she's enjoying the presence of God. But I said, this little girl ain't lost a thing. She, the parents thought, well, she didn't get to marry. She didn't get to, you know, have a life, a normal life. And I told the parents, I said, listen, Right now, she's with Jesus. The little girl's with Jesus. She's with Jesus now while I'm speaking. And it's a glorious thing. But one day, in the millennium, that little girl will get to grow up. She will get to grow up. She will get to live a normal life. She will enjoy the blessings. You say, that's just way out there. Well, don't bring me back because I like it where I'm at. And that little girl will enjoy a future. He said, well, why will God let children grow up in the millennium? Because everybody must be born again. Everybody has to decide whom God they'll serve, what God they'll serve. That's what the devil being loose for a short time after he's bound for a thousand years is all about. Giving everybody a chance to be born again, to make that decision in Christ. Amen? Isn't that good? No little child goes to hell. No little child goes to hell. No child goes to hell. They go straight to heaven when they die. But remember, Jesus Christ said, I saved them that they... He's, well, Jesus pretty much put it like this. They lose nothing. I save everything they are, plus they lose nothing. And I take that literally. That's a big God. That's an incredible God. You say, well, I don't see how God can do that. Well, he's big enough that eyeballs will melt and people's eye holes melt away. Hello? I got to quit. This is a beautiful. I've enjoyed the study of Zechariah. How many have enjoyed the study of Zechariah? It's an incredible book. It's amazing. And Zechariah just gives us so much beauty. So next Wednesday, the Lord willing, the church don't rise, I'm going to talk about the millennium. We're going to go into the millennium. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to see what the Bible says about that thousand years in which we'll rule and reign with Jesus as a church for a thousand years. Isn't it beautiful? Josh, come and bring a song. I want to ask everybody, if you would, to stand. We always give an invitation at our church. We always give an altar call at church. Say, well, preacher, why do you always give an altar call at church? Because not all churches do. We have prayer, and the Lord blesses. The Lord touches.
Josh, go ahead and play. We're not going to leave the altars open long, but we will have prayer just before we close. You can talk to the Lord. Altars open, you come.